Finally, COVID is over. Or eventually over. You got places to go, people to meet. Before you book your trip for your next holiday, why don't you consider reading today's book? Who knows, you might get some soul-enriching ideas for your next destination. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review Going Places with God, a devotional journey through the lands of the Bible by Wayne Stiles. 176 pages, originally published by Regal in December 2006. The ebook version I am reading is published by Ravel in 2014. It's available for $8.99 in Amazon Kindle and it's free from Faith Life's free book of the month program. Today's book is free for June and only June. Going Places with God is a devotional book. In this book, we have a foreword from Charles Swindle, 90 days worth of devotionals, and right at the end, a travelogue from the author's trip to Israel. Who is Wayne Stiles? What makes him quote-unquote qualified to bring us on a devotional tour through the lands of the Bible? He isn't a historian or, or an archaeologist, and uh, he had went through seminary, uh, he had held leadership positions, he is a very experienced pastor, but how he conveys himself for this book is as a believer who visited Israel in the year 2000 and has never recovered. That's how he presents himself in this book. Uh, the experience just filled him up, bubbling up within him, and continued to do so. So this book is an outlet for what he wants to share with, uh, with a fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to present to you the lands of the Bible, and this book is one of his ways. Uh, he also leads tours uh, for, the, for the Holy Land, and he also has another uh, project initiative where he's walking through, uh, the, I believe, walking through the Bible, walking through the lands of the Bible. So that's also another active project of his. So you can see that this is um, the Holy Land, the lands of the Bible is something that is very uh, meaningful and deep in his heart that he continues to spend his life uh, investing on people uh, with this um, this subject matter. For each devotional in this book, you have at the top of the page a scripture reference, which you are supposed to read first. Uh, then you have one to two pages of Stiles' devotion material. He ends uh, with a short prayer, a snappy quotation, and references to maps which can be found in the book. There are 90 devotionals for you to read uh, a day at a time. I don't recommend you do what I did, which is to read the whole book in a few sittings. If devotions are meals, they should be slow-cooked, not microwaved. So take your time reading the devotions, one day at a time. Now, with so many good devotionals in the market and many freely available online and in your phone apps, why read this book? It's a the short answer is, it's a, sh it's a devotional journey through the lands of the Bible. Okay? And uh, now will be a time to do a short quiz. Can you find on the world map Israel? Well, you should. 
<laughs> I can think of at least five reasons why you should. I mean, you have the story of Moses. You have the Egypt to where? To Israel. You kind of need to go know where, which direction they're going. You have David, the greatest king over Israel. And you have Jesus. I mean, that's the centerpiece, right? To know what was going on and where it was happening. Uh, less biblical reason, perhaps, is that it's the currently today it's the center of one of the longest conflict in the Middle East. So, and uh, by some measures, uh, Israel will also be in the forefront when the end of the world judgment day of judgment comes. So, those are five reasons why you should know where Israel is on the world map. Now, let's say that I give you a map of Israel. Can you pinpoint Jerusalem? Hmm? Or how about Bethel or Bethlehem? Or what about Jericho and Nazareth? Can you identify the Sea of Galilee at least? And then the River Jordan and then the Dead Sea. I mean, those are the big uh, landmarks or big uh, bodies of water that uh, you can see in the map. So hopefully you could do all that, but I think some may be struggling. Now, how about if I put a map of Jerusalem, okay, the city Jerusalem in front of you, uh, the old maps, okay, not the current modern ones. Can you locate the Garden of Gethsemane? How about Calvary Hill, Golgotha, where uh, the cross where Jesus was crucified? Or how about the empty tomb, the, the, the empty tomb that we celebrate for Christ has risen? So if I put a map of Jerusalem, can you identify where all these things are? Now, at this point, maybe some of you are thinking, why do I need to know where these places are when I can just use Google Maps or just use Google to find wherever all these places are? And the answer to that question is this book, this entire book. When you read the book, you will see how helpful geography, biblical geography, is to your faith. I mean, there was a time when uh, Wayne Stiles himself was, uh, was uh, not that, I would say, transformed, not that aware of how biblical geography can, can make such an impact. But that all changed. That all changed. Listen to what Stiles has to say. Let me quote. For the vast majority of my Christian life and ministry, the benefits of understanding the land of the Bible remain hidden like artifacts in the sand. I possess knowledge of the place names, but they, play, they, but they played no role in my study of the Bible, except to distract and confuse me, because I couldn't appreciate a site's contribution to the biblical narrative. I dismissed the unfamiliar as irrelevant, or at the very least, of minor importance. But when my wife and I took our first trip to Israel, it all changed. I rank the experience of learning biblical geography on the level of learning Hebrew and Greek, probably even higher. I discovered an integral part of Bible study I had missed all my life. Like seeing the whole puzzle put together, I was now able to see the individual sites in light of the whole. I became aware of a cohesion and logic as to why God included geography in the inspired text. My memory of biblical events was strengthened by associating the events with their geographical locations. What I had dismissed earlier as irrelevant, I began to recognize as an essential part of God's dealing with his people. End quote. Now let me emphasize one sentence he said. He said, I became aware of a cohesion and logic 
as to why God included geography in the inspired text. Cohesion and logic. Now, don't we see logic in the text rather than in the geography? For example, you have words like for, if, how much more, uh, but. Oh, those words tell us there's a logic to the, to the scripture. If I recall, Pastor John Piper's life and ministry was transformed when he saw the Bible not as a bunch of isolated quotations, but as a series of interconnected propositions. Now that's logic. So when Wayne Stiles tells us that there is logic in geography, what does he mean? What is a logic in geography? In the introduction, uh, Stiles writes, in biblical times, I quote, in biblical times, the place itself often played a major role in the significant events that occurred there. Beside the water where water gushed from the ground, there a man drove his tent stake and so laid the foundation of a city. Rains ran through immovable ravines and beside those rivers, people cultivated their fields and watered their livestock. Where the easiest ground to travel lay, there a wayfarer walked, and so a highway began. Geography affects history. End quote. So that's, uh, that, I hope, convinces you somewhat. And if you just think back about even Egypt, white people went to Egypt. You talk about Mount Carmel. You talk about the different locations all right, of, uh, in the Bible, there is a reason, there is a logic behind it. And you will discover this because Wayne Stiles himself in this book will give you example after example 90 times over. In day four's devotion titled A Strategic Move, uh, he writes, I quote, A thriving fishing village, Capernaum straddled the international highway that stretched from Syria to Egypt. By choosing Capernaum, Jesus selected a city that enjoyed a constant flow of people who could carry his message to many places. And that's just what happened. As Jesus preached in Galilee, I quote, news about him spread throughout all Syria. End quote. So not only did travelers take the news north into Syria, but they also took it by other roads into Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Over here he quotes scripture, the same scripture that uh, you're supposed to read as part of this devotion. So there are lots of things, uh, lots of uh, insights that you can get from this book that helps you, that enriches your understanding of what's happening in the Bible. Why Capernaum? Why not Nazareth? Why not Bethlehem? And over here, there's a reason for this. And once you see the reason, then you would appreciate that what is Jesus' intention, that the news would indeed spread. And uh, after reading it, you reflect on it like I did, and I just thought, oh, that would explain why. In Acts chapter 2, for example, you had so many people who actually had, there was something that they, they could respond to Peter's uh, sermon. They probably have heard or perhaps even have been uh, benefited or gained or been healed or been or the lessons of Jesus. So I suspect that the reason why you have thousands upon thousands in the book of Acts is because those, the seed has actually been sown and uh, those seeds can actually be traced to Capernaum, be traced to John the Baptist, be traced to all these ongoings where it's linked to the geography. 
So this book does not aim to just serve you geographical insights. I just want to say that. This is not a fact book of interesting trivia to share in your next sermon or Bible study. You can get that from an atlas or a geographical commentary. Yes, there is such a thing as a geographical commentary. I discovered this not so long ago, and I found this very fascinating, and I actually bought a few copies. So uh, those things exist, if that's what you're looking for. Um, this is not. This is a devotional book. Okay, It's a devotional book. And if I can illustrate to you what should be the the way you approach this book or the outcome that should, that should happen after reading a devotion in this book. Uh, imagine that you are on a lifeboat at sea for many days, maybe weeks. You are thirsty, hungry, you are delirious. And uh, water and food is running out. You are getting desperate. So after many days of looking out at the horizon, finally you see land and you row paddling towards that land. You reach land, you jump out of the boat and you just uh, kiss the soil. All right? You prostrate yourself on the ground and just kiss the soil, singing hallelujah, your eyes go to heaven and you thank God for your salvation. So that picture might be a bit exaggerated if I'm asking you to kiss the ground uh, after reading a devotion. But the idea is that when we, when we see the land, or what, what Wayne Stiles is doing, that he's, you see the land and you remember what that land means to you. All right? So that land actually ha holds meaning. So you talk about Shechem, you talk about, I don't know, Negev, you talk about uh, any parts of the Bible. That land is not just a name in the Bible. That land actually has meaning behind it. Uh, and because it has meaning, uh, it brings you nearer to God. And therefore, you have a thanksgiving, you have a reflection of who you are. Um, so that is clearly seen in how in this book, every devotion lands with a prayer. Okay? It lands on a prayer. So, for example, in the Capernaum devotion, uh, which, what, which is what we just read just now, where he describes Jesus moving to Capernaum as a strategic move, uh, uh, Styles then leads the reader to pray. I quote, Lord Jesus, rather than pursuing a place to hide where I can escape the irritation of people and culture's corruption, help me to see my world through your eyes. Place me in places where I can have the greatest influence for your kingdom. Show me today how to seek first the kingdom of God above my own preferences. End quote. So that is Wayne uh, Stiles. At the end of every devotion, he links um, uh, the prayer to what he just wrote. And what he just wrote is in reference to a scripture passage. He closes the chapter with a quotation and uh, some map references. So for day four, uh, the quotation is from David Livingston. I uh, quote, I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's David Livingston. And you will see familiar names uh, being quoted in this book. You have Corey Ten Boom, uh, C.S. Lewis, Jonathan Edwards. And you will also see some not-so-familiar names like John Flavel, Thomas Adams, George Swinock, and so on. Now, the not-so-familiar names are names that I hope will become more familiar to you over time. Many of these are Puritans or uh, names that we should uh, appreciate and be somewhat uh, familiar with. Now, the last thing he puts in every devotion is references to maps. 
And those maps are scattered over the book and uh, those uh, things that you can refer to, you have the maps of the, of the big map, you have uh, the Egypt and uh, Israel, you have the map of Jerusalem, you have photographs, so you can see how those uh, places are. So those are things that you can get from this book. Now, having described what you can get from the devotions, now let me just, just do a, a, a review, um, my thoughts on uh, that part of the book the devotional part of the book. Let me first talk about the maps. Okay? That was where I stopped and that's where I'll start. The maps, like I said, are scattered amongst the devotions and the way they are placed is not helpful. It's like you need a map to find the maps. <laughs> um, for example, let's go back to that Capernaum in day four. You read Capernaum, you don't know where it is and you would like to know because now your curiosity has been aroused. So you check the map reference and it tells you to go to page 28, page 56, page 70, and page 112. The problem is um, you are supposed to thumb your way to the pages, but the electronic copy doesn't have pages. And I really shouldn't need to change the setting of my reader over here, my app over here, to see the pages so that I can get to the maps. The references should be hyperlinked. I should be able to click on the uh, reference and then I should be able to jump to the map immediately. I mean, it's 2022. That technology has existed for a long time. But if hyperlinking is a problem for various reasons, uh, then there is another solution, which is to just group the maps, all of them put together and just place them at the end of the book as an appendix. I mean, that's what most, many writers or publishers do. So I'm not sure why that was not done here because it's quite distracting, if I can say that, to jump from page to page and you kind of lose interest. The danger is that you lose interest on what the book intended to build an interest in the first place, which is the geography, to know where things are and to see how everything is linked. So that is on the maps. My next criticism is the subtitle. Um, okay, uh, the subtitle includes the word uh, devotional journey. So let me just focus on the word journey over here, the keyword journey. I suggest an improvement is for the devotional journey to be an actual journey. I The problem here is that the 90 devotions uh, looks like a random walk. Uh, you go from one place, then you just skip, and then you, like, you just get transported, uh, teleported, actually it's a better word, you get teleported from one place to another, one place to another, and, uh, and you don't get a, a, an idea, a cohesive or a logic of uh, where everything is placed in the land. Now I know that uh, because he's covering so many places, uh, and uh, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, different stories, different people, different times. So it can be difficult to make a story, uh, perhaps a cohesive narrative that goes from point A to point B. But that's what tour guides do. I mean, if you land in, I don't know, Cairo, and you get a tour guide that brings you all the way to Lebanon, the tour guide will be able to tell you this is that, this is that, this place was in whatever BC, there was this king, and so on. So, I mean, you can create a spatial journey, um, even though the people and the times are all over the place. 
but he doesn't do that in this book. Now, let me just give you an example. In day 10 of the book, I'm in the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. And the next day, day 11, I'm in the country of the Gadarenes. Then in the next day, I'm at the Negev. Maybe I expect too much logical structure in my geographical devotional journey. But consider that even St. Luke arranged his travelogue to progress from point to point. So I can... Perhaps there is a reason why Wayne Styles makes the places all up in this devotion. One thing is you do get variety. Maybe you don't like walking in the sand from Egypt and then going to the Red Sea, then just progressing slowly to Mount Sinai and so on. And uh, so maybe you, by mixing them all up, like taking M&Ms from a bag, there is variety, there's color, so it could be could be good in that sense. But I still think that if it was arranged as a journey or if it's arranged as many journeys, I mean, you have, like, like just give you an example, you have the Moses and the Israel, the nations escaped from Egypt to the Promised Land. You have the pilgrims um, from Jericho ascending to Jerusalem. You have Jesus turning his face from Galilee towards Golgotha. I mean, you have many, many journeys that can help reinforce the cohesion and logic and, and connections in the biblical geography. I mean, it helps us to know that the land we came from connects to the land we are heading towards. Um, so that is one criticism I have. It's just too random for me, especially since it is a journey. Okay. Now, there is the other part of the subtitle, which is that it is a devotional journey. I've talked about the journey part, which I think is, could be improved on. What about the devotional part? Okay, How about devotional? Does this book uh, help a Christian in his or her devotion? And that makes me ask, what makes a good devotional? I jotted down some answers, and uh, it's not complete, and might even be mistaken. Perhaps you can... Uh, you have some thoughts on this. Um, so what makes a good devotional? This is what I got. A good devotional should direct the heart and mind and soul of the reader towards God, like how the Psalms does. Uh, so it leads you, directs you towards uh, God and throne above. A devotional should help us gain, gain a knowledge of God and our relation to God. Ultimately, a devotional, a good devotional, draws us nearer to God. Okay? That should be the final outcome that makes us nearer to God. But having said that, I got into a bit of trouble because ultimately whether or not you come near to God depends less on the book or any book and more on you, isn't it? I mean, a devotional book can jumpstart the engine, the spiritual engine, but it is not the engine. It doesn't drive the car. Because a devotional book, for example, is a starting point for the scatterbrained, the weak-spirited, the malnourished life. I'm describing myself. And this book, and this book, this Wayne Styles book, is as good as any devotional in that regard because, uh, I mean, a devotional can jumpstart uh, a weak spiritual life. But at the same time, we also recognize that the effectiveness of a devotional depends on whether the reader's heart kneels before God. There's a submission, there's an obedience, there's an opening of the life towards to, to receiving God. Uh, 
Which brings us back to the original question. What makes a good devotional? And consider, okay, because on the other hand, okay, uh, not all devotionals are equal. There is a reason why Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening is a devotional classic. Now, what makes it so? I'm still thinking on this question, and I don't think I can give an answer here, because I think an answer to this uh, will help me be a better book reviewer. So it's something that I'm still thinking about. I expect that I'll be reviewing more devotionals in the days and years ahead because it seems that Faith Life or Logos seems to give a free devotional every year or every so often. So I think I need to figure out what, is, what makes or breaks a good uh, devotional. So, but before I move on to the next topic, so I'm not going to answer that question. I'm still thinking about it, but uh, I'm saying that this book, uh, Wayne Stiles' book, is not a bad book in that sense. It's a, it's a good devotional. It, it can help. So that's my answer to that question. But before I move on to the next thing, the next part of uh, Wayne Stiles' book, because there's a travelogue at the end of the book, before I go to that, I, I want to leave you with this thought. Now, a devotional that brings you nearer to God could be a devotional that you write for yourself. That would be called a journal. And uh, I, know, I personally know many fellow believers who have gained so much from journaling. So I think it's a good practice and one that I encourage you to consider. Perhaps you have been trying different devotional books over and over again, some with some success, some with not. And perhaps you may want to try, if you have not, uh, to try journaling. Take a pen, take a paper, uh, and then just sit down by your desk early in the morning and just writing down. Read scripture verses and just write some words down. And just write with your thoughts, meditating on the scripture and on God. And no, there's no right or wrong, um, but if it does bring you nearer to God, as you adore Him, you confess before Him, as you thank Him, as you, as you plead to God for your, for your needs, then you draw nearer to God, Jesus, and may the Holy Spirit um, indwell within you mightily. So that's as a tip as I reflect on this uh, book. Because um, it's related to the travelogue, you can see over here that uh, Wayne Stiles, as he reflects on his trip, that is the, the second part of his book over here. After 90s Day Devotional, he has a travelogue, a short one. So he reflects on his trip over there. And you can see that uh, it has really made it meaningful for him, this uh, trip. Um, it is uh, his own personal devotional journey through the land. And what I like about the book is he doesn't sensationalize the experience he doesn't make it much more than it needs to be, make it mystical, there is a light from heaven. There is a so what you see is that, um, let me just read from him. Here he writes of his journey towards Jerusalem. I quote, This winding way snakes up nearly 4,000 feet in elevation toward the watershed of the hill country of Israel. And I had almost come to the top, almost to Jerusalem. Craning my neck as high as I could, I waited to capture that first view of the city I had imagined all my life. Suddenly, we reached the crest. And there it was below me, a panoramic view crowned with the golden dome of the rock. I saw Jerusalem. I really, really saw it. But no shafts of light from heaven, no angels singing the hallelujah chorus, 
not even a respectful hush on the bus of travellers with me. Just a few clicks from cameras and horns from the cars behind. I saw the city of Jerusalem in all its ordinariness, and it remains one of the most special moments of my life. End quote. Like I said, it doesn't make it much more than it needs to be. The reason why Jerusalem is so meaningful is not so much because it's like Disneyland or some great architectural wonder that we, I mean, by today's standard, but it's meaningful because we are Christians and we know what Jerusalem meant to God, to Jesus. So when we when we see these places, as uh, Wayne Style writes in his travelogue, there is a lot of meaning behind it. There's great significance. And, uh, and it makes me want to go there. The best travelogues makes would-be travelers out of readers. And after reading him, uh, I am tempted to set aside money to make the trip for myself. I tell myself that I need to be fit need to be healthy, eat right, exercise more for all these walks, all those walks that I'll be doing if I do go there. I am um, more motivated to study scripture in anticipation of that trip, especially just knowing where everything is so as to make the trip more meaningful, just like how you would study uh, for your holiday destination to make the most out of the trip, your plan, where to go and so on, and what, where must you visit places that you must visit sort of thing. As I say all this, I'm not saying that Stahl's travelogue is especially well-written. He is not a literary genius painting a landscape with words. J.R.R. Tolkien, he is not. <laughs> you see, in the, La in the Lord of the Rings, um, Tolkien describes Midi Middle Earth in ways that rouses the reader's imagination. The magic is not just from the plot of the elves, dwarves, men, and so on. It is also, the magic is also the world that Tolkien imagines. It is a world that pulls readers in. We want to visit Middle-earth. Middle-earth is amazing because of Tolkien, because of what Tolkien wrote. But that is not true for today's book. Going places with God attracts readers to the lands of the Bible. But the lands of the Bible are not amazing because of Wayne Stiles. It's not because of how great a writer he is. It's amazing because of God. For God set his story, God's story, onto this land. He could have chosen any other piece of land, China, America, Australia. But he chose to set his story here. And the thing about Wayne Stiles is that he doesn't, I suppose, distract us with some literary attempt, but he leads us to the scripture. And he then unpacks scripture with its geography, the city, the land, where it is, and how, why, it's, uh, why it is. And he leads us towards uh, how God sees the land, in, in a sense. Okay? Consider, for nearly two decades... Okay, that was how long the Lord of the Rings movie was released, 2001. For nearly two decades, people around the world flocked to New Zealand to see the places where the Lord of the Rings, the movie, was shot. 
I am one of them. I went there and I really enjoyed visiting Hobbiton and the various places. Okay? But that is minor in comparison. Okay? This is such a minor pilgrimage. Because for more than 2,000 years, many, many more, okay? so much more people travelled to the Holy Land to see the places where Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, and John walked. So many people went on the pilgrimage to see these places that Wayne Stiles writes. In Bethlehem, Christ was born. He walked on the Sea of Galilee. In Jerusalem, the people welcomed Jesus, listened to Him, judged Him, and crucified Him. And on the third day, Jesus rose again and left an empty tomb. And there were witnesses to his resurrection. So these are real places, real events by a real God. So I share one last quote from Wayne Stiles. And perhaps it can encourage you in your own spiritual journey. And also perhaps entice you to consider reading devotionals. I quote, God used these places to mold the lives of his people in the biblical narrative. And if you will allow him, he can use it to change your life as well. Begin to recognize that all the places God takes you, many of them painful, have nothing but his glory and your best interests in mind. The irony of going places with God is that the one who travels with us is also our destination. He takes us to these places to give us more of himself. End quote. Going Places with God is a book that will prompt you to consider a trip to the Holy Land. It's a book you can bring on that trip as you travel. But even if you are not traveling, even if there is no possibility of going to the Holy Land for yourself, which is true for more people than not, you will Appreciate what God has done through these lands. And ultimately, what God has done, is doing, and will do for you. So, let your devotion and praise respond to who God is. And this is a book that will help you do that. This is a Reading and Readers Review of Going Places with God a devotional journey through the lands of the Bible by Wayne Stiles. 176 pages published by Regal in December 2006, uh, but the recent edition is by Revel in 2014. It's available for $8.99 in Amazon Kindle, but it's currently free from Faith Life's free book of the month program for June and only June. Before you go anywhere, uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast, Reading and Readers Podcast, if you have not done so. Because if you don't, you might miss great books at great prices. Remember, great price sometimes means free. So subscribe now and listen to more book reviews that are coming up soon. So thank you for listening. <music>